You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. He said a few verses before, let God be true and every man a liar. And now he just kind of throws out some truth from all kind of different scriptures. He throws it out. The comparison game is easy to play, and many play it. You compare your house, your job, even your family to those around you. Comparison happens in faith, too. Are you as spiritual as the other person? Are you as sinful as someone else? Pastor Danny will share another comparison today that many in the Apostle Paul's time were making, Jew versus Gentile. But as Paul writes in Romans, it's equal ground. Everyone is sinful. Everyone needs Jesus. And everyone still does today. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Romans, chapter 3, as he begins his message, Amazing Grace. book of Romans. We are in chapter 3. Grab your Bibles. Romans chapter 3. In the opening chapter of the book of Romans, the apostle Paul is like prosecuting attorney for God and he's indicting people. He's indicting people for sin. And if you've been with us, chapter 1, he indicts the Gentile world, the pagan Gentile world and all the religious Jews would have been going, amen, amen to chapter one. But then in chapter two, he indicts the religious world and he hones in on the Jewish religious world and he indicts all the Jews for sin. He points out in chapter two, and we looked at it, Jewish religious rituals and observances mean nothing if one's heart has not been changed by the Spirit of God. There was a painful punch right in the Jewish gut, one that might cause a Jewish person to go, well, what's the advantage then of being a Jew? Well, that's a good question. Chapter 3, verse 1. What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision, which was required by the law of Moses? Much in every way. First of all, they've been entrusted with the very words of God. Now, the outline for chapter 3 is not fancy, and it's not short. There's actually eight points. And here's the first one. What's the advantage of being a Jew? Well, he answers it. Well, there's tremendous value in being a Jew. 
much in every way. First of all, they've been entrusted with the very words of God. We have the word of God through the Jewish people. So they ought to be thankful for this tremendous spiritual and religious privilege. But don't misunderstand the privilege they've been given. Now, we're going to jump ahead just a minute, and we're coming right back to Romans 3. But if you take a quick look at Romans chapter 9, listen to what Paul writes here about being a Jew and the advantages of being a Jew. Verse 4. The people of Israel, theirs is the adoption as sons. There's the divine glory. God appeared to them first in his glory. The covenants, all the covenants were made through the Jewish people. The receiving of the law. Moses goes up on the mountain, comes back down, delivers it to a Jewish congregation. The temple worship. And the promises. And then he goes on, verse 5. There's are the patriarchs. The men who were progenitors of the whole Jewish race. The patriarchs. And from them, get this, is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all. We have a Jewish Messiah. So there's tremendous advantage. Listen, there's tremendous advantage to spiritual privilege, as long as we don't misunderstand it. And that's what he hammered home in chapter 2. Now, before we leave the point, you got to go to John's gospel just for a minute. John chapter 8, and Jesus in dealing with the Jews, this is a practical example of the very point of having spiritual privilege but not taking advantage of it or presuming that because you have privilege, well, God loves you more and you're more righteous than others. No. John chapter 8, verse 31. And this used to throw me how this starts off, to the Jews who had believed in him. These are ones who had believed in Jesus. But he said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, they didn't like what he's saying there. They answered him. We are Abraham's descendants. We're Jewish. And have never been slaves of anyone. What a perspective. They've lost the memory, I guess, that they were slaves in Egypt. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And then he states it. I know you're Abraham's descendants. And then he reveals what's really in their heart. You're ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. And this whole discussion, he concludes by actually saying to them, you are of your father, The devil. Tremendous privilege being Jewish, and yet they weren't born again. The Spirit of God had never changed their hearts. Back in Romans, 
Chapter 3. Keeping in mind tremendous spiritual privilege, religious privilege. And then he says, verse 3, what if some did not have faith? Despite their privilege, despite all the revelation, despite all the truth they've been given. Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. And then don't miss this, verse 5. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? And then Paul puts a little parenthesis. I'm using a human argument here. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Now, if you don't know what he's saying yet, hang on just a minute. Verse 7, someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Another way of saying that is, well, if, if my unrighteousness makes God look better, why am I condemned for my unrighteousness? Verse 8, why not say, as we are being slanderously reported as saying, and some claim we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is deserved. The simple thought in these next verses goes like this. If my unrighteousness makes God look good, let's do bad. Again, if you peek ahead, he's going to hit on this in Romans chapter 6. Here's how Romans chapter 6 opens. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. Second point. Don't be so foolish as to excuse personal sin for any reason. And that's what he's getting at in these next few verses that we just read. And then number three, beginning in verse nine, Romans three, verse nine, what shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. He said a few verses before, let God be true and every man a liar. And now he just kind of throws out some truth. From all kind of different scriptures, he throws it out. And here they go. As it is written, there's none righteous. No, not one. There's no one who understands. No one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There's no one who does good. Not even one. Again, he's grabbing from Old Testament passages. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace, they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says... And he just quoted a bunch of verses from the law. It says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. So point number three, here's the truth. Here's God's truth. It's a guilty world. 
And it doesn't matter who you are. And it doesn't matter where you live. And it doesn't matter how pagan you are or how religious you are. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Gentile. This is the climax of Paul as prosecuting attorney. Everybody's guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty. Everybody, you're guilty. Everybody's guilty. And then look at what he says in verse 20. Therefore, if there's one thing I learned in Christian college, one professor, every time we came to a therefore when we were in his class in the Bible, he would say whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you ought to find out what it's there for. Therefore, now it's the culmination of the arguments. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Wow. Brother, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Again, keep a marker there. Peek with me over to the right. Galatians, Galatians chapter 3. It's a whole section we don't have time to read. But in this section, especially beginning in verse 6 of Galatians 3, where Paul here writes, consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then he argues the difference between trying to observe the law and having faith. Law versus faith. And then he makes this amazing statement. Verse 23, before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge. Another translation says the law was like a tutor, like a teacher, put in charge to tutor us, to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Point number four is simply this. The purpose of the law is not to get you to heaven. The purpose of the law is not to give you righteousness. No, the purpose of the law is exactly the opposite. The purpose of the law is to show you your, your unrighteousness. Now, he points out in another place that there's nothing wrong with the law. The problem is not the law. The problem is us. The problem is the world. The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. One more time. Say it again. The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. Here's the truth. I'll never be righteous based on my obedience to the law. Say that with me. I will never be righteous based on my obedience to the law. Nothing wrong with the law. It's holy. It's good. It represents God's standard of righteousness. And whenever I'm put up against God's standard of righteousness, I'm in trouble. Galatians, that section says that the law becomes then a curse to us. God damn the world 
because of sin. Never be made righteous by the law. But look at chapter 3, verse 21. Oh my goodness. But now a righteousness from God apart from law. I underline that. That's a very important statement. Apart from law. A righteousness from God apart from law. Has nothing to do with law. Has nothing to do with the obedience to, to a law or a command. Has been made known. Really. To which the law and the prophets testify. Law and the prophets, he's saying the Old Testament. The Old Testament reveals, testifies to a righteousness from God that has nothing to do with the law. Point number five, righteousness apart from law revealed in the law. That's about a series of messages over several weekends because you could look at passage after passage after passage that you could find in the Old Testament revelation, truth about a righteousness that God is offering but it's not connected with law and obedience to law. Genesis 3, first man, first woman, Adam, Eve, in paradise, all expenses paid, they blow it. One command, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They both do. They become sinners. They hide from God, which is a crazy thought, but we still try to do it. They hide from God. God comes in the cold of the day. Where are you, Adam? And he answers, well, I heard you and I hid. Well, what is it that you have done? Have you eaten from the tree that I told you not to eat from? And that wonderful husband answer, the woman you gave me. <laughs> he blames God and the woman. If you'd given me a different woman, it would have never happened. He doesn't come clean. He doesn't confess. And after the encounter that God has with Adam and Eve and confronting them and now their sinfulness and they're trying to cover their nakedness, which they can't do adequately. And then you know what it says? When they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, didn't work. God then clothed them with animal skin. If I'm going to roll the dice and throw my bet down, I would bet it's lambskin. And God gave them righteousness credit because something else died in their place. Because God had told them the day you sin, when you sin, the soul that sins, you're going to die. But they didn't die. They eventually would die physically, but something died in their place and God clothed them. Abraham, through you and your seed, a child that's going to come through your lineage, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then Abraham and his wife get too old physically to have kids. And then God does a miracle. And Sarah has a miraculous conception, and then a birth. 
Now, it's not the Christ, but he's representative of the Christ. And Isaac is born. When Isaac becomes a young man, Abraham is told, take him up on Mount Moriah, which just so happens to be where Mount Calvary is. And sacrifice your son, your one and only son whom you love. And you know the story, he picked up the knife and he's getting ready to slay his own son and God says, wait, wait. And the literal Hebrew is God will provide himself a sacrifice. I mean, you go through and it's one story after another. David, man after God's own heart, but look at his sin. Look at his sin. One night stand with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant trying to cover it up, murders her husband. Under the law, guess what? He deserved to die. And then God says, look, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. And he pours out grace to him. And he writes that wonderful psalm. And he says, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord won't count against him. And one example after another, and I don't have time to go into them, but all through the law, Isaiah 118, though your sins are like crimson, they'll be as white as snow. (laughs) It's grace. It's mercy. The high priest in Zechariah chapter 3 is standing there next to Satan. Satan's accusing him, saying, look how dirty you are, and you're the high priest. You're the biggest religious guy here. And then God steps in, and the angel of the Lord says, take off his dirty clothes and put clean clothes on him and put a clean turban on his head. And just by the grace of God, all of a sudden, this high priest who's dirty becomes clean just because of the grace of God. It's all through the Old Testament. I could spend the rest of the time on point five, but then you'd never get to dinner. So, man, righteousness apart from law. Man, let that sink in. Righteousness that God is offering that has nothing to do with my obedience to even a good command, even a righteous law. It's a gift. Romans 3, verse 22. (laughs) This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. (laughs) And are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this, catch this, to demonstrate his justice. Ooh. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. What is he talking about there? What he's saying is God is both prosecuting attorney and defense lawyer. God is both the originator of the holy law and also the originator of the Savior who kept the law for our sake and then died in our place to pay for our sins. It's amazing. 
It's absolutely amazing. It, it's amazing grace. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. You're welcome to listen to additional teachings from Pastor Danny by going to our website, ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. We also encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on the latest messages and videos from Calvary Chapel Fellowship, the church behind this ministry. If you're ever in or near the St. Petersburg area, we would love to meet you in person. We meet on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. But if you're unable to visit us in person, no worries. We also offer live stream services. Find out more on our website. Once again, that's ccfstpete.church. As Pastor Danny continues this series in the Book of Romans, our prayer is that you're finding a newfound appreciation for who Jesus is and how your life should reflect Him. Throughout the book of Romans, we read about the faith that Paul had in Jesus and how he didn't back down from his beliefs. Likewise, we encourage you to stand firm in your faith. The goal of this ministry is teaching the Word and reaching the world. We trust that the living Word is speaking to many and pray that lives would be changed. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Tune in next time to hear Pastor Danny continue to teach through the book of Romans right here on The Living Word.